Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of CPF Firewire. I'm CPF President Brian Rice. Right now, there's a new public health emergency confronting California and indeed much of the world, the coronavirus strain known as COVID-19. As we sit here recording this podcast, nearly 100,000 people worldwide have been infected by COVID-19 and over 3,000 have died. In the United States, cases have been reported in more than a dozen states. And just this past Wednesday, California saw its first fatality from this disease. Governor Newsom has declared a state of emergency, as have several counties, to begin to address this situation. As firefighters, our members, you, are on the front lines in any emergency, including emergencies that affect public health. And CPF has been in direct touch with state and local officials, including the state EMS director and Governor Newsom. Through them, we've been getting the latest information on the COVID-19 outbreak, how it affects our members and what you need to know as responders and as potential patients. Uh, Joining me today on the CPF Firewire is CPF's Health and Safety Director, Mike Fai. For those of you that haven't met Mike, uh, Mike did his career with the Sacramento Fire Department, rose to the rank of Fire Captain Paramedic. Uh, Mike also has um, a very lengthy military career, and he's been a member and executive board member of Sacramento Area Firefighters Local 522. Um, prior to uh, retirement and joining CPF. Mike, I wanted to start by just getting some of the facts about the coronavirus, what it is and what it isn't. Where did it come from and how is it, how did it, how is it spread into the United States? Uh, initially, Brian, it was discovered in Wuhan, China in late uh, 2019. Um, they started getting patients there. It spread through um, pretty much through travel cruise ships, airplanes, you name it. It's made it over here to the United States now. Initially, the CDC, they did try and do some quarantine and stuff like that, but it was just a matter of time. Um, We all saw in the news what they did with having the initial patients come into like the regional centers of LA and in the state of California and up here in Travis Air Force Base in Northern California, where they did do their screening. But again, that's kind of how it got here and where it started. Mike, um, signs and symptoms of uh, COVID-19, do they differ in any way from what we would call the common flu or the common cold? No, not really. Signs and symptoms are very, very, very similar. It's, uh, again, this is a virus, but it's coughing, sneezing, fever. Um, this is a respiratory illness. So sometimes, I mean, you might get uh, some more chest chest pain, heaviness, coughing type stuff, but uh, that's typically, those so those are signs and symptoms, headache, et cetera. So, I mean, when we think to flu seasons, this one here, we'd kind of think that this would, would show kind of as a respiratory type flu. Sometimes they do, sometimes they're dry, but that's at least as I was thinking of it and thinking of the signs and symptoms, it would seem like it would, you'd have a little bit more, I don't know, a wet chest or a dry chest, a little bit more coughing and irritation. Yeah, a, a little bit different. Just it is an upper respiratory illness as opposed to your typical GI type stuff that you might get in a regular flu. I think they've referred to it as SARS-2 now um, as a, an upper respiratory. Again, initially, 
uh, some of the background information, it did start in animals and it's transferred over into humans. It's another one of those type viruses. And it's spread through like droplet type form, um, coughing, sneezing, those kind of things are what typically spreads this virus. And that was going to be kind of my next question yeah. on how it spreads, but that's perfect because I kind of, I want to ask, how does it compare with some of the other communicable diseases that uh, we encounter in the field? Measles has been more contagious than this virus is. And the spread typically with this is just um, by people not practicing good hygiene techniques. Again, it is spread through coughing, sneezing, and it, I mean, the they're still trying to determine how long this will last on surfaces, but it can also be spread through um, the, the droplets being on equipment or desk, whatever. Do you need to panic or anything? No, you just need to be cognizant of what you're doing. Um, practicing good uh, hygiene techniques, washing your hands, um, wearing the proper safety gear that you're supposed to uh, when you come on these calls. Because again, you could, we all know that you walk in and it may not be exactly what was dispatched. So, I mean, everybody's trying to do their best to get the information, but you need to be highly suspicious right now that any one of these calls that you could be going on could be uh, a possible uh, corona exposure. You've been on several phone calls and, and high-level phone calls participating and gathering information. What's, your, what's been your experience? Is this a very fluid and developing situation? What are you seeing? What are you finding? Again, we have a lot of these procedures that have been in place for past, um, I don't want to say epidemics, but past uh, uh, viruses and other uh, exposures, Ebola, SARS, um, swine flu, H1N1, all this stuff, it's been out there. We have the, the policies and procedures in place, so they're putting those in back into effect some of the struggles that we're having, and I think a lot of departments that I've heard on the are resources. Um, when it comes to mass, expired mass, um, what's still good? We have some of the big brains that are out there actually uh, putting thought into what should be happening, what's common sense and stuff like that. So again, in, in doing some of that, we are seeing changes on a regular basis, but this isn't anything that we haven't run up against before. I mean, we've, we've seen some of these things. We just need to do what is the right thing, which is practice, you know, good health hygiene techniques and wear the PPE that we do have. We have seen some quarantine situations, whether it was civilian populations coming in on a cruise ship or people being brought back into the country. We have seen, um, some firefighter quarantine situations. And the ones that I am familiar with seem to be um, uh, very geared towards the firefighter health and minimizing um, further exposure. We don't necessarily um, have a uniformed uh, quarantine protocol across the state. That That's something that is at levels higher than, than you and I still being discussed. Is there anything there on that level that we should um, pay attention to or it'd be in, important to firefighters to know? Well, I think it's important to all firefighters right now. Every, every local LEMSA, every department has developed protocols. Um, and the firefighters need to be aware of what your local agencies and what your departments are doing. I know lots of times as firefighters, we have a tendency to brush some of this stuff off and, and not truly pay attention. 
But we really need to research and stay in tune with what everybody's doing. Because when it comes down to quarantine and stuff like that, you could just have an exposure and it doesn't mean that you have the coronavirus. You've just been near it and you've been in the proximity of someone that has it, but it doesn't mean you have the disease. The idea with the quarantine is to keep it from spreading. So, and again, and why you're seeing a lot of this, uh, people being quarantined at home is because if you've been exposed, we want to expose anybody else. And you probably, there is a possibility you could have exposed family members and stuff like that, but it doesn't mean that you have the virus until you actually are confirmed with signs and symptoms and have had the test. As firefighters, who are the patients at the highest risk of getting COVID-19 and getting seriously ill from it? What What is kind of the expectation, I guess, or, or, or a profile of, of what an at-risk uh, patient would, would be? When it comes to the more severe symptoms of patients that are going to possibly uh, be uh, at a higher risk for more severe symptoms is, is your older population. Some of what we've seen have been the younger patients. Uh, there haven't been any reported deaths with some of the last uh, statistics I saw. Our more susceptible population is our elderly population um, that are already immunocompromised. Everybody's different. Everybody's immune systems are different. I just think that as we fight some of the stuff off, it, it's, it's going to be different. But again, the at-risk population is those people that are um, already have multiple health issues, high blood pressure, COPD, other respiratory issues. Again, they are at higher risk from having more severe, uh, at, uh, severe reactions to this uh, virus. I'm gonna, Mike, I'm going to sound, sound like a broken record, but I think that as we go through and ha have this discussion, we probably can't mention it too many times. Any special precautions to take? The biggest thing, and we've, we've talked about this, is, is just practicing good uh, personal hygiene, washing your hands, uh, not touching your face, not coughing on people. And if you're sick, stay home. Don't bring uh, your sickness to work. Everybody's at a heightened awareness. And not only does it, uh, do you put other people at risk, but again, you're also putting other family members and stuff at risk too of your coworkers by bringing it to work. So if you're sick, stay home. That, that, that's interesting because when I came on the job and, and you came in a little bit after me, um, our whole mantra was don't call in, crawl in. And um, as we have progressed in um, the field of EMS and being firefighter paramedics and firefighter EMTs and fire-based EMS and transporting, it is really important um, nowadays to exactly what you just said, if you're sick, don't come in. And, um, in our line of work, um, you know, I'd always recommend that you see your doctor. You know, we, we have learned, um, in the behavioral health arena and in the physical arena that, um, our, our doctors are a great resource for us and, and our body is our livelihood. Our health is our livelihood. And um, as a firefighter, you work in a, um, a profession where you're exposed to a number of different things and um, use your doctor and, and your health insurance to make sure that you, you um, are healthy and, and not sick. Well, you know what? I mean, this is a public health emergency. And with that going on, if you come into work sick, not only are you, uh, you know, 
threatening your fellow workers and stuff with maybe getting this disease or virus and having to be quarantined, but you're also affecting delivery of the emergency uh, services that you're charged with doing, that you're sworn, the citizens that you're sworn to protect, it just puts even a, a bigger uh, burden on the system if we come in and we have members that maybe have contracted this virus and they spread it to the workforce, then we actually are not able to get out there and do our jobs. To make sure that we give and get accurate information, where would you recommend our members um, tune into? to receive accurate information um, on um, corona and the COVID virus? And, and there's there's a few spots. And um, through CPF, we've started doing some of our messaging. We've been sending out uh, some leadership alerts. We've linked some sites to our website, but also other good sites. The IFF has done a really good job uh, with uh, actually putting some common sense questions and answers. Uh, the CDC uh, Center for Disease Control, they have a really good, their website has some of the most update information. Typically, a lot of the conference calls that I've been on at the higher level, that's all the information they're referencing, as well as the World Health Organization or the WHO. There's a, another great resource for questions and answers on truly what the virus is and what's going on with it and where the transmissions are. And those are, those are some of the, the resources that we're using. And again, if any members out there that are listening to this have any questions, they can contact the CPF and we will get them to the, 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 the good resources uh, that, that they're looking for and the information that they're looking for. The other one you told me too, outside of um, CDC and who was also um, touch on locally within your department, within your city, within your county. And that is important because every department, even though um, the, this, the virus is the same, they have different procedures and protocols locally. And most of the departments that I've spoken to are all very, everybody is very being, trying to be very proactive about this and getting information out. And they have established the protocols at the county level and they have uh, SOGs in place of what you're supposed to do. And predominantly most the departments have a designated infectious disease uh, officer, and they're dealing with this issue. So again, use your local resources to make sure you're getting the most updated information for you locally. And I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate this, and and I did this last night. Um, I got on um, not got on the internet, but I got I I I plugged into the CDC and um, asked a lot of questions you know, about past flu seasons and, you know, seasons that, um, uh, what the mortality rate was. And it, and it was, um, it was interesting and sad that, um, the flu can take, you know, between 18 and 30,000 lives in the United States during a season. Um, when I was looking at, and I get, I was getting this off of the CDC and this is where I want to go for our members Use official sources to gather information, CDC, World Health Organization, your county public health, your city public health, state public health. Don't get your information off of social media. And I say this because what's important when you want information about Corona or COVID-19 is the source of the information. And what we always want to see 
is the reference at the bottom. When it says source, we see CDC or Sacramento County Public Health via the CDC. We really need to be smart and um, plan out where we seek information because I, I've looked at social media, it's everywhere. And, you know, I've had um, people ring into me and, hey, do you see this? But it comes from a source I've never heard of. And right now with what we're facing as professionals, we need to source our information from the CDC, World Health Organization, our county, our city, and our state. And, and you're right, because right now, I mean, so many of the local public health agencies, and everybody is gathering information, and they're all doing it from the same place. Um, and it's social media, just like any other time that we always talk about, too. You have to trust but verify. I mean, you, you really, you need to do your own research. And if, you, if you're seriously concerned, it, it's very simple just to, to log on to the CDC uh, or any of these other websites and get the information. And pretty much every one of them has some common sense answers to the questions that you're going to have. The other one, um, important, personal exposure reporting or PER, um, what recommendations um, would you have for our members as far as um, making sure you record your, your potential exposures? I would encourage all our members to record all of your exposures on PER online. I don't think it's, it's never been easier than it is now to do that. All, if you're participating in the PER online program, you need to document those exposures because again, long-term, I know you and I've talked about it, Brian, I know in looking into the future and the great crystal ball, there's some of these things that don't speak exactly in our presumptives that we're going to have to look at in the future. And this is one of these as we start to see some more of these. But if you record your exposures now, they're going to be there forever. And as we, as the CPF, move forward and try and do some of the, the stuff that we're looking at into the future, it'll be there for our members and you'll be able to document those things. So again, we encourage everybody to use the PER online to make sure that they're documenting any possible exposures to the coronavirus. It could be very simply, you know, you get a call for an ill person, you get there, the person has flu-like symptoms, they have a high fever, you don't know um, anything other than they have flu symptoms. And just to have that recorded and logged, you've got an incident number, whether it's in your station logbook or in the EMS um, report, could be important. During a flu season, as I think back, um, you would go on dozens of, of flu calls in a day or a cycle, record them and make sure that um, you have them for reference just in case. And I agree with you because it, it is important because what we've, we're finding and what we've talked about with some of the testing and stuff for this, this virus, um, it, it's right now, initially all the testing was going through the CDC. They're starting to, to get it out to labs throughout the country now but it's two days. So if you don't log your, what could be a potential exposure, it may, you may not find out for two days that yes, you were exposed. So the idea behind it, be ahead. If you have a suspected exposure, make sure that you're logging it and then uh, you're, you're taking those precautions. You know, Mike, we talked about precautions and good hygiene and personal exposure reporting. Let's just take it to the field. You and I, we're in a home, we have a flu patient. What kind of precautions 
as uh, a fire captain do you expect to be taken uh, by your crew and what do they look like? Every county, every area has different protocols, but some of the more generic things that we're seeing that their recommendations out of CDC, maintaining a six foot distance from patients until you truly discover what's going on, that you're actually, if there's a highly susceptible, you know, suspected type patient, that you're putting on the proper PPE, that you're wearing a gown, you're wearing a mask, you're using eye protection. Typically, every department has certain SOGs that they're adhering to. So again, I'm gonna default back to, you need to follow department and local agency protocols as you do this, but those are some of the generic ones with distance and the proper gowns and masks, et cetera. Mike, one last thing. I know we've talked a lot about on-scene precautions, universal precautions, following protocols, but the other piece of this is firefighters go off duty in the morning at some point. What can they do to not only you know protect themselves, but also protect their families and not bring the job home with them? It goes back to just like everything else, Brian. With When you're getting off work, I mean, good personal hygiene, leaving your uh, exposed equipment and stuff, it should stay at work. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be dragging all this stuff home. And there's protocols that should be in place for each department. But again, you need to make sure that equipment that could be contaminated has been decontaminated, as well as it stays at work and you're not bringing the stuff home. And that includes your car. Exactly. I mean, how many times throughout our career, I know when we started it, a lot of, a lot has changed, but we just threw our gear and stuff right in our car as well as brought it home and drug it into the house. And we just can't do that anymore. Some of the stuff you, you got to think it's bigger than just you. It's, it's, it's you, your family, as well as your neighbors and your community. It's just, I appreciate that and the, the not bringing it home. And it makes me think, you know, because people are going to um, get reassigned or move station to station. Put your gear in a garbage bag and before you throw it in your car. Don't necessarily put it in the back seat where your kids go. You know, put it in the trunk, put it in the bed of your truck. But just start to apply some of those precautionary things that you can do um, to protect your family and not bring the job home. It is, and it's a good universal practice for every day, not just for the coronavirus, but for everything else in the fire service, too. Well, this has been CPF Firewire. We've had uh, Mike Fai, CPF's Health and Safety Director. Mike, thanks for your time and for keeping up with the issues to serve our members. The bottom line is simple. COVID-19 is a serious public health issue that is still evolving. As firefighters, you're a critical part of the healthcare system and you need to be at your best. You can protect yourselves and the public by using your PPE, and by using your professionalism and common sense, if you're sick, stay home. And we're going to be communicating daily with leadership at a state level to keep you current. Uh, check out our COVID-19 information page at cpf.org. Again, thank you for listening and joining us. And we look forward to another episode soon of the CPF Firewire. You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. 
CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott. Please join us next month for another edition of CPF Firewire.